Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is Friday. Well, once again, by the time you all hear this, it'll be Friday. But as of right now, for us, it's Thursday. But that's besides the point. When you all open this, it'll be Friday, (laughs) April 22nd, 2021. And you are now tuned into episode 11. This is like the preseason finale. So this is the season finale before the season finale of the Amen Corner Podcast, your favorite podcast that you like to enjoy and listen to on a regular basis. That's not the show name. It's just, this is called the Amen Corner Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? My name is Michael Purvis. I'm your host, and alongside me is my co-host, Joshua Powell. Josh, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing good, and yourself, Mike? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, um... Before I announce the main topic, I want to get this out of the way. I always do this. like or I save it after I announce the main topic, but it's a lot of stuff, so I'm going to say it now. Um, like I said, this is the season finale. Before the season finale, um, like I said, this is for a course that I was doing, that I was um, taking, entitled Voice for Broadcasting. And in order to meet the quota of what was required for the class, we are required to do 12 episodes, and we are currently on episode 11. Yeah. <gasps> Right, it's it's flown by. Hey, we're so close. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, also want to say since we're at the end of the semester, we'll we'll go into more detail about it next episode. But congratulations to Brother Joshua Powell who will be graduating. Yes, sir. Praise yes, the sir. Lord. <laughs> and <laughs> right, crazy. Um, definitely want to thank all of you who have been listening, participating, um, sharing. Letting us know how much you enjoy. And even those who may listen, let us know if you're enjoying the content that we talk about here on this here podcast. Follow us on our social medias at the Amen Corner on Twitter. See, I did the Twitter first because I always forget the Twitter. And I had to cheat too because I have it on my phone. I don't know why I can't remember that Twitter handle. But hopefully by the next season, I have it memorized. Instagram is uh, at the Amen Corner Podcast. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Instagram is at the Amen Corner Podcast. Um, Facebook pages entitled the Amen Corner Podcast. Um, like we usually say, the link tree is located in the um, bio of the description of every social media account that we have. So, in that case, that you want to, if you may have heard this um, platform on SoundCloud or any other platform, and you want to listen to it on a platform, which brings me to my next point. Shout out to all the people who are listening to us on SoundCloud. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and did I say Spotify? I might have said Spotify already. I believe you did. Okay. Either way, all the all the different platforms that listen to us that we are connected to here at the Amen Corner Podcast, whichever one is your respective choice, thank you for listening to us on that specific platform. Make sure you share what you are hearing with a friend, family member who may be interested in what we are talking about on this show. All right, so with all of that out of the way, um, I didn't finish my last thought. I'm sorry. Everything is in the link tree. So social media, different social, different streaming platforms, all that's in the link tree. Like I said, it's in the bio of our um, of all of our social media handles. 
Alright, so this episode of the Amen Corner Podcast is a little bit different than the ones that we usually do. Uh, many of you who have been listening to us for a while know that our usual format of the show is that we introduce our trending topics. Um, we introduce a specific highlight according to um, certain special interests. And then we go into a main topic. Um, if you all listened or paid attention to the last episode that we... Um, that we covered, we talked about the role of the church in social justice issues that um, take place in our society. So, um, in that case, we had actually alluded to the fact when we were talking about the Dante Wright shooting, about um, the personal connection that I had to that. Um, we actually have my pastor from uh, Minnesota, um, uh, Superintendent McKinley Moore, who is joining us and will be joining us later on in the show um, whose church is in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. He's going to be giving us a little bit of insight as far as um, what has been going on in that area and as far as um, a few of the questions and a few of the topics that we have covered uh, in the earlier parts of the show. So it'll be interesting to hear from him and to engage in conversation with him about what we have been discussing here on this podcast so stay tuned it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy episode but it's worth it um yeah, promise you that all right so um with that being said since we're doing a little bit of an interview aspect um usually most of you know that i go th ahead and breeze through the um the trending topics that we talk about on this episode i'm going to take it a little bit differently um due to the fact that i'm going to be doing most of the interviewing and um Josh really won't be a part of that aspect. I'm really going to ask a lot of his input when it comes to the beginning and preliminary parts of what we talk about here on the show. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the trending topics. Um, according to Christianity Today, um, a black church bishop calls for the Home Depot boycott over the Georgia voting law. Um, an African-American bishop based in Georgia, has called for a boycott of the Home Depot due to the home improvement retailer reportedly refusing to meet with opponents of a new controversial voting law. Bishop Reginald T. Jackson, head of the 6th Episcopal District of the African American, <coughs> of the African, excuse me, African Methodist Episcopal Church, released a statement posted by the Savannah Herald on Wednesday calling for the boycott of the Atlanta-based corporation echoing previous comments from earlier this week. According to Jackson, representatives of the chain of over 2,000 stores in North America have refused to condemn the controversial law passed in late March that liberals claim will curtail ballot access. See, that's how you know it, Evangelical wrote this. That liberals claim will curtail ballot access. It will curtail ballot access. Anyway, <laughs> in late March, the liberals claim will curtail ballot access for many urban and suburban communities and would not meet with him and other community leaders. We boycott them because they have simply refused to respond and not only to our request to meet, but to other corporate partners. Blacks and people of color like others, uh, also other customers and benefit from, from our dollars and the purchase of it and its products. And we believe that they should oppose any efforts to suppress our voters. Jackson also spoke of the, possibly expanding the boycott to include Chick-fil-A. Ho, ho, hold on a minute. What, what, uh, 
Wow. What what Teddy Long from WWE say? Hold on a minute, play. <laughs> I'm with you on Home Depot and Chick-fil-A and Arby's. I'm with you on Home Depot and Arby's. We're going to have to talk about um, about Chick-fil-A. Uh, I know it's owned by some evangelicals, but 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 they, they be putting some, that's some sanctified chicken. I don't care what nobody say. Chick-fil-A is sanctified chicken. How? Put that in a hashtag. I'm kidding. No, really. But <laughs> anyway, um, Chick-fil-A and Arby's, depending on how they react to other religious leaders, uh, reach out to them. Let's be clear, this boycott is called by faith leaders. Jackson continued, we have noted that there are some who are putting responsibility for this boycott on President Biden, Stace, on President Biden, Stacey Abrams, and others. This is untrue. We have not asked for support for this boycott from any political leaders or elected officials, he added. This is because this is not a partisan matter. This is about the greatest right in our democracy, the right to vote. Home Depot released a statement explaining that the company believes all elections should be accessible, fair, secure, and support all broad voter participation. Hmm. So, um, Josh, do you want to tackle this first, or do you want me to go ahead? Um, you could definitely you could go on first. All right. So, my opinion on it is this: as far as I said about Chick Fil A, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that yeah. one. <laughs> Thank God for Chick Fil A. around it. <laughs> right. um, so here's my thing. When it comes to laws like this, I'm of the persuasion that corporate entities should not play a role in the lobbying of these things. I feel as though corporate entities should not have as much of a say when it comes to these things. The sad reality of it is this. There are many corporations that are owned by, um, Caucasian, I'll say this, Caucasian Americans that are more so concerned about money and care more about the black dollar than they do about black people. Many of these corporations cons- uh, are, are privy to side with more conservative actions because if they are to side with liberal administration, then that means that more tax money is coming out of their pro- out of their pockets, mm. and to really to be able to attack to protect the uh, state of capitalism and other things that they have, they usually side towards that end. So I believe that really, I support the boycott for Home Depot because Home Depot and its corporation and its officers really have no business trying to interfere with the voting of what is going on, with the voting process in Georgia and the things that are going on through there. The Georgia voting law that was passed, I don't know the full details of it, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that one of the big deals of it is that they're um, essentially, as far as um, not allowing people bottled water um, while they stand in those long lines of voting, um, it is really to been put in place to disenfranchise and to inconvenience many of the African-American voters that um, are trying to cast their vote and change the election. Um, Georgia, for the last few, um, I want to say for the last last, uh, election season that we had, played a very pivotal role in securing um, Joe Biden's victory for um, President of the United States and also securing the um, 
Democratic majority Senate with the um, I don't the other individual who ran is is um, slipping my it's slipping my mind, but especially the Reverend Raphael Warnock, um, who ran and won and um, currently pastors the um, Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. Martin Luther King pastored. So Georgia has really been um, front and center when it comes to voting restrictions, really since the um, since the last season where Governor Brian Kemp and uh, Stacey Abrams were in the election, and there were many um, options, there were many uh, articles that came out concerning voter registration and voter suppression that many African Americans communities were. Um, receiving as far as the inaccessibility for them to be able to come in and cast their ballot in a correct way and how many Republican lawmakers have had a certain role in playing how African Americans are receiving that accessibility to vote. So I say all that to say this, I know I just went on a tangent and I just went rambling, but I say all that to say this, that... um, the. uh, I'm sorry, y'all. I have I've been talking a whole lot, and I have no water next to me whatsoever. So I'm kind of struggling through this, y'all. Y'all pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> um, but I say I like to say this: Home Depot ain't got no business trying to um, suppress the black vote, and all black people should uh, in Georgia should, and especially in America. Period. If they're gonna do this, should not should stop shopping at Home Depot. I think Lowe's is Lowe's president is a. Um, it's an African American individual. That sounded weird. Mm. Yeah, but Lowe's is, Lowe's got a black president essentially. So go shop at Lowe's. Um, at Lowe's, is, Lowe's <laughs> right? Lowe's, because Lowe's ain't having a whole bunch of that. So yeah, what you think, Josh? All right. So literally, my opinion on the um, Home Depot boycott over Georgia voting law. Um, one thing I want to say is that you know when it comes down to you know, collaborations, and when there's no, like, one thing I realized is, like, if they're trying to, you know, so if um the bishop, you know, trying to, like, you know, gather up, you know, different, you know, corporations and everybody, you know, to get their, like, opinion or, like, to, you know, get some, some type of support, but, you know, like, they're not being responsive, but they want to do something else, you know what I'm saying? They want to do something else, but, and not support, and, you know, they, they, they want to claim they um, supporting this and that or whatever, but, you know, they're not really supporting. Like, I just think that it's just, like, really fake. Um, just, like, not, like, reaching back out to the bishop. Like, Home Depot should have, you know, reached out, reached back out to the bishop for the for that Georgia law. Um, and I don't know too much about that Georgia law, but, um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to, like, you know, do some more research into that. Yeah, like I said the I said the same thing about um but really it's more so to give you an overall synopsis of it, it essentially was a effort to limit the um accommodations that can be given. Cause you know, if you I know you've probably been to uh to a voting line, you know them Johns get long. Like Right. Them Johns like stretch that like they deep, deep, right? <laughs> Like, so if you stand in there for a minute, you may, you know, need some accommodations. You may need some water or things like that. And essentially what that Georgia bill, it's made it law to say that those things are illegal to give out. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. One thing I want, I actually have a, I actually have one thing to say about that. Like, you got to think about it. Like, 
bro, like, you got to be fair. Because, like, think about it. So, like, if it's, like, a water bottle, like, what about, like, a snack or something? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, those lines are long, especially in, like, big states. Like, if you're in Atlanta, exactly. I know for a fact if you're in Atlanta, you're going to be in line forever. Definitely and trying to get a vote in. That's what I was trying to, um, I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but that's what I was trying to allude to when I was making my earlier remarks is that the fact that there were so many things as far as I even heard about when it was going to the elections that there were so many ballot areas in Georgia, as especially Jeez. especially in the Atlanta area. And you know how populated wow. Atlanta is, and if you only have a, a couple of voting areas, you know those lines are going to be uh, down the block, <laughs> really. They exactly. Like, <laughs> but, That's what I'm saying, bro. That's what I'm that saying. We got we got a boycott Home Depot because that's just unacceptable for them. Yeah, that is definitely unacceptable. Like trying to gain some support with that, and you don't want to do nothing, bro. Like you gotta, like you gotta think about it like this. Like you gotta think about it like okay, like you gotta think about the handicap. You gotta think about certain things like that too, because it's like, bro, like what if they need some water too? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's just messed up. But um. Yeah, my fault. You, you can continue. No, no, you're good. You're good, bro. You're good. Cause I, I, I went on a tan. I went on a, on a tangent, started rambling. So it's all good, bro. Um, the next trending topic with that we're gonna address here is uh, Liberty is suing former president with his nasty self, Jerry Falwell Jr. over a ten million dollar sex scandal. Uh, I guess we could talk about. I didn't want to talk about it in the last episode, but um. Yeah, essentially, Jerry Falwell, um, I'm going to put this in a very PG way. Um, Jerry Falwell and uh, his wife were um, accused of having an extra, well, it was, I guess you could say it was an extramarital affair that Jerry was okay with. I think that's the best way to say it. It was an extramarital affair that Jeffrey was okay with that he didn't participate in. If you can read between the, like I said, I'm trying to keep it PG, but it was an extramarital affair that Jerry Falwell was okay. I wish I could see Josh's face right now. <laughs> but it was an extramarital affair that Jerry was okay with that he didn't participate in, but watched happen. No. I had to, I had to fully explain it because Josh was looking kind of confused. Yeah. What? Yo, that's OD. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, between all of that happening and his um, open and adamant support for Trump, uh, that's what caused him to judge the story. I tried to explain it in a PG way. Oh, no. Oh, no. I tried to explain it in a PG way. But, yeah. that that That's the best Yo. I can do on that one. So. That's Crazy. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So let me go ahead and read the article. Um, Liberty University, one of the nation's largest Christian universities, is suing its former president, Jerry Falwell Jr., for $10 million, citing a breach of contract and a conspiracy to, misle- to mislead the university's board. Falwell, son of Liberty founders, the late Jerry Falwell Sr., resigned as Liberty's president in August 2020 after years of controversy due to his support for Donald Trump and allegations of misconduct. A complaint in the lawsuit filed in Lynchburg, Virginia, Circuit Court, claims Falwell, quote, fashioned a deceitful scheme 
to manipulate the Executive Committee of Liberty while negotiating his last contract. The complaint also states that Falwell created the so-called uh, Granda Plan to conceal his family's relationship with Giancarlo Granda, a young man who had um, that the couple had met while vacationing in Florida. Granda has claimed to have a long-term sexual relationship with Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife Becky Falwell. The Falwells have denied that claim, but have admitted that Becky had an affair with Granda. The couple um, also uh, trying to read this. The couple also bought a Miami youth a Miami Beef Youth Hotel in 2013 that Granda managed, but also had a share in. The complaint claims that Falwell devised a plan to cover up the relationship, fearing Granda would make it public and that Granda asked Falwell for payoffs in order to keep racy photos of Becky Falwell out of the public eye. Yikes! Um, It's crazy. That's really crazy. Liberty University is actually in Virginia, right? Yep. I actually know somebody actually goes to that school. It's actually crazy. Um, Somebody, my fault. I, I was going to explain, but... It's all good. Oh, I can explain. Okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. it's crazy because, because actually, know somebody, you know, like so, like mind you, guys on the side, like you know, I um, you know, I invest in forex and stuff like that, and you know, actually have somebody that, you know, actually goes to Liberty University, and you know, like I saw his flyer, you know, drop and everything like that, that he's doing an event there, and I'm just like, now, I, now I'm about me hearing this, I'm like, yo, what's like, bro. right? Because <laughs> you know it's. My fault. It is a Christian Wait, school. Gonna... I'm about to say yeah, it's a Christian school, but they're very. It's it's an evangelical university, from what I've understood. Yeah. And like we continue to say, evangelicals have taken so many L's in this past year and in this current year. It's like thanks, bro. Yikes! It is crazy. <laughs> like it's really wild. Like you know, it's crazy. Like, there was actual. There was actually a time that I actually wanted to go to Liberty University. Like, there was an actual time I wanted to go to Liberty University, but um, what made me not want to go was because, like, yeah, like, the evangelicals and stuff like that. But, you know, I heard that, like, there's, like, some, like, staff that are, like, racist over there. You know what I'm saying? I heard that, like, there's some, like, you know, like... Uh, not surprised. Yeah, and it's just, like, wow. When when I heard that, because I, like, I remember I was like, yo, there's a Christian university? Yo, I definitely want to go. You know what I'm saying? That sounds low-key lit. Like, I, that's, that's literally what I said in my like, in my head. And I remember that, and I was just like, when somebody told me that, like, the um some of the staff there is, like, racist and stuff like that, I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. So I kind of, like, shot away from it. And then you hear stuff like this, and it's just like, Yo, I know their enrollment has tanked. I know their right. I know their enrollment is in the basement right now, bro. But it's just exactly. it's sad to see because usually a lot of these people that um that engage in things like this, the sad part is is they expect the students to um live up to a higher standard than what they are and they almost preach at the students when they make a mistake that's lesser than which is the which is the problem that I somewhat have with it is the fact that if you're going to encourage your students to have a uh, clean living policy or things like that, which I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure they do because most Christian inter- institutions and universities do have something like that within them. I don't specifically know. I'm just saying, 
But if you, if they are of that persuasion, then that is just a sad example to see. Yeah, that's just yikes. I don't even know what to say about. Yeah, they need to sue him, and yeah, he need he just need to go somewhere. All right, so that was our trending topics. We're moving expeditiously because we do have a lot to cover in our next topic. I sound like a MC in church. I really do. <laughs> so we're moving expeditiously. Got a lot. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, gospel music highlight. As you may know, hopefully, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I hope, but I feel like this may not be the end. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I don't want to cast that. I don't want to um not cast, but speak those things into existence. But I just feel like it may not yet be over. Over. But we are entering sort of a um, a down track as far as um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, vaccinations are beginning to roll out. And, uh, and in that aspect, we're beginning to see a lot of in-person activities become open again. And um, in-person ministry is starting to become open again. Um, the Many of you uh, possibly know, and I'm going to let Josh talk about this after I get through reading the article because um, he's more, he's a little bit more versed on um, Christian hip-hop than I am. But um, as far as what we're talking about in our gospel music highlight, um, Lecrae has recently um, recently participated in some prison ministry that took place um, in early April. Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae visited the South Carolina prison, performed six songs, and testified about his faith. Uh, Fifteen months ago, the event would have been almost unremarkable, but since then, COVID-19 restrictions have prevented Lecrae from hanging out with prisoners as he had previously, previously done with less social distance after a performance hosted by Prison Fellowship. He was quoted by saying that we sometimes do it outside the security fence line and maintain that separation with the men or women on the inside. Um, or said Prison Fellowship, Fellowship President James Ackerman, excuse me, uh, describing a hope event ministry held in a correctional facility in Alabama in September. Lecrae's visit this month was a sign that some prisons have begun permitting more in-person religious activities. As conditions have improved state by state, some correctional facilities and prisons are opening back up for visitors and ministry purposes, um, said Jim Forbes. Communications, a director of prison fellowship, said in a statement uh, to Religion News Service. uh, That comes as prison fellowship, the largest U.S. nonprofit serving incarcerated people, Formerly incarcerated people and their families celebrate Second Chance Month aimed at raising awareness of the difficulties faced by people with a criminal record. Um, the virus has spread through correctional facilities where social distancing is often not an option, infecting prisoners at a rate three times that of Americans outside prison walls, according to a recent report by the New York Times. So, Josh, what do you feel about um, Lecrae doing these concerts? So, okay, so literally when I heard that, you know, a lot of things started opening up again, like, for example, restaurants, um, now it's performances, now it's arenas, like, literally there's, like, different events going on, definitely in, like, you know, the Miami Dolphins Stadium and stuff like that, because, you know, definitely with that, um, what was it, the, um, like, with music, right, I believe... I forget what it's called. I think it's called like Rolling Loud or something like that. Oh, yeah. They're actually having an event, you know, opening up over there. And when I found that, I was like, wow. So everything's really just opening back up again. Like everybody just could have an event. 
So when 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 it comes down to Lecrae and mind you, I'm a Christian hip hop artist myself, you know, actually I'm just really grateful because it's like, like definitely, you know, you want to make sure you're safe, you're wearing your mask and stuff like that. And I just pray that the numbers are dropping. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I pray the numbers are dropping. Hopefully, I don't know like the statistics. Um, but the one thing I want to say is this: that um, when it comes to like prisons and stuff like that, I believe is a great thing that you know he's actually going there, you know, actually performing, and, you know, definitely, you know, showing like, you know, showing like the word of God, not even the word of God, like, but like the word of God through music. Yeah, because it's definitely like, a great connection. So. Man, I, I just pray like, like you know, like events and stuff open. Yeah, I feel you on that. But like I said, I don't know if, if we're if we're getting towards the end of um of this pandemic, but I'm hoping that we can at least if we're not getting towards the end per se, <clears throat> we're getting to a specific point in time where we can feel more comfortable and it's safer for us to have in person worship and for us to do in person ministry. Um, I do believe that online ministry, like we said, like we talked about when we um, in our church and COVID-19 episode, that per se online ministry is not going to fade into the background. I believe that this time was taken for us to be able to strengthen how we do online ministry. And I believe that when we strengthen how we do online ministry and we come back with the drive for in-person ministry now that we know how impactful it is since we, since it has been taken away from us from a period of time. That'll help us to do more effective ministry all around. And the fact that we're beginning to see that many of these people who haven't had, who had the passion for ministry, like um, the article was talking about, this is not the craze first time being in the prison um, doing ministry in that aspect. Um, just to see people get back to doing the uh, ways of ministry that they were doing pre-pandemic and also being able to minister to those people who I would say have more of a hunger. Well, I, I would say and I hope and I honestly believe would have more of a hunger for that type of ministry since, we, um, since we're getting to that part of the pandemic um, where we're starting to um, downtrack a little bit and we're starting to get back into the um, opening up. I believe that that absence of in-person ministry has created a hunger for those who benefited from it before the pandemic. And I'm interested to, to see what new and innovative ways that gospel artists, gospel um, personalities, preachers, individuals of that nature will be able to go out and impact people who need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, everybody. So um, now it's time for us to get into the main topic of today's show um i'm very privileged and i'm very honored to have this opportunity um this man of god has played a integral part in my life in my development as a young man um as many of you heard me talk about in the last episode as far as the um incident that happened in uh brooklyn center minnesota as far as the um police killing of dante wright and as far as um, the personal connection that I had towards it, um, I did mention that we were going to try to get a little bit of information, a little bit more information about that. And um, I'm glad to say that here we have with us um, Pastor McKinley Moore. Pastor McKinley Moore is the senior pastor of Jehovah Jireh Ministry Church of God in Christ in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Um, I'm going to ask him just a couple of questions about 
his uh, ministry background, and then we're going to get his perspective on the things that have been going on in Brooklyn Center, as well as um, the church's perspective as far as how do we tackle um, instances of civil unrest and racial injustice. Pastor, how are you doing today? It's good to have you on the show. Hey, Mike, I'm doing just great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, great. Good to be with you today. Yes, sir. Mike, once again, I want to thank you for this opportunity to um, come and hang out with us here at the Amen Corner Podcast. Uh, I want to go ahead and get it started off. Um, many of our viewer audiences know that I just um, said that you are a very successful pastor in the city of Brooklyn, Minnesota. Um, how did you get started in the ministry? Well, uh, of course, everything begins, uh, you know, with a call. Uh, if, if God doesn't call, you don't go. Yes, sir. So ministry begins with a call, you know, that you feel uh, deeply in your spirit and your soul that, that God is calling you to it. And uh, from there, uh, I was, uh, I wasn't raised in church, uh, but I did um, date a young lady who was. And so really, she was my interest, entrance uh, into the Church of God in Christ, mm-hmm. particularly. Uh, my family did have some Baptist background, um, but we didn't really attend, and I didn't go. And so not until my high school, junior and senior year, uh, I began to date a young lady who was in Church of God in Christ and in the church. <clears throat> in fact, that was kind of the parameters of our dating was that, you know, her mom told me, you can see her in church. You'll see her in church on, on Tuesday night. See her in church on Friday night. You can see her in church on Sunday morning. So that's where you will see her if you want to date, if you want to date her. And so that's how I began uh, hanging around the church, being a part of the church. And then, of course, from there, the word of God to me. Um, and uh, I got saved. And then from there, uh, after going to college and coming back, uh, I served as uh, a deacon at Mount Olive Church of God in Christ for uh, about 13 years at Mount Olive's there. And then a, a, another pastor here in the state of Minnesota uh, asked me to come come and, and serve at his church on an interim basis. Uh, and so I went with, and with uh, Pastor uh, uh, Robert Robinson at his resident Church of God in Christ. And I served in his stead for a year. Uh, actually, it was a two-week invitation. <laughs> originally and then the two weeks became a month and the month became two months and all of a sudden a year had gone by and I was still there and so at that time uh, I just felt a call to go ahead and and, uh, uh, launch out into ministry and uh, began Jehovah Jireh Church of God in Christ and so that was in 1992 and so uh, up until this moment this is going to be our 29th year of ministry and uh, we started out at the church right next door to where we are right now. Uh, it's called Brookdale Christian Center. And we rented uh, their space on Sunday afternoons. And after three years of renting um, there, we purchased this building where we are in 90, uh, 95. We moved over here and actually bought it in 98. And so <clears throat> now that's how we, we got here. And now we're in our 29th year is going to be this year. All right. Definitely. Um definitely interesting to hear about how you got started into ministry and as far as um, your process from going to from deacon to uh, preacher so out of all of those years out of all the many things that you learned out of all the many things that you've experienced um, what would you say is so far the greatest highlight of your ministry 
Well, that's a, that's a question I haven't really uh, uh, thought about. Um, I think um, having having pastored our first uh, ten years, we had a, a great uh, ten year celebration. Uh, we had and one of our general board members come to preach, Bishop George Dallas McKinney, a favorite of mine, and, and he came in. We had a, a special friend, special guest, come into place of worship, uh, Renita Macklin, uh, Bishop Macklin's sister. Uh, she came that for that same celebration. We had like, just a great time in our 10th year, so it was kind of a great, uh, exciting time uh, for us. I think other than that, it's just uh, seeing, I think, the growth of the, the uh, individuals. Uh, it is it is our theme. Our motto is that is the Jehovah Jireh is where disciples are made, and so we made a shift from membership to discipleship, uh, acknowledging that you know everything has members, uh, but Christ said go and make disciples. Uh, so membership just means your name is on the roll. Uh, discipleship uh, means I'm following the teachings of uh, the Master or, or, of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so. We want to put a great emphasis on not being happy, just being in the church or on the on the roll, but in fact are pursuing and following Christ um, as Lord and Savior, and and then from there just seeing the development of, of individuals and uh, their call to ministry and to see their growth and development um, is, is are also exciting times as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned Bishop George Dallas McKinney, who just recently. Went home to be with the Lord, and you mentioned, um, and I'm sure a lot, uh, as far as when you went through your whole um, tenure as a from a deacon to a minister to a pastor, and in those aspects, you definitely um, rubbed shoulders and connected with a lot of the uh, fathers of the Church of God in Christ, fathers in the ministry, people who had been experienced in the ministry, and even um, the lessons that you learned personally as far as um, getting into ministry. Um, so the next question I want to ask you is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned since uh, you've accepted your call to the ministry? Okay, I'll answer that in two stages. I think first off, I want to speak on, I think what, what uh, I did not know before getting into ministry was in fact a, one of the biggest pieces of the ministry, and that is counsel, uh, that people need someone to talk to and to kind of give them spiritual guidance and direction. You know, you're kind of on the outside looking in, you think it's all about the preaching. Uh, but it's really about the counseling and speaking in, into people's lives and, and being there for them in, in the happy times and, and there for them in their sad times and all of uh, life's challenges. Uh, I, I have, uh, I've actually had on two occasions, I've had on two occasions to, uh, in ministry, to go to a very uh, sad occasion on a Saturday morning because a member is getting married and then to a very solemn occasion on a Saturday evening because a member has passed. And so uh, it, it's like you're with this family in their greatest time of joy. And then that same day, now you're with another family uh, in their greatest grief. And so I think it is the ability uh, to connect with people uh, and be with them in, in their uh, either crisis or or joy or, or their times of peace or celebration and just to be with them and what they're dealing with and going through and kind of help them uh, you know along the way and marshal through it and so I think that is one one uh, I think important piece was the just the counseling and and the family involvement um, of the ministry 
And so now, now give me the question again, or what was the other piece that um, I maybe just, just asking about what is the most important lesson that you've learned since you have um, accepted your call okay. to the ministry? Okay, uh, I think I think the, the the piece about discipleship I think was 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 important for us because when when I when I I actually attended a uh, a, a conference uh, at one of the uh, colleges here, and that was the, the sole purpose of their conference was the to, to talk about discipleship and then when i accepted that uh you know and and i saw the message of it um and then then i, I came back and told the church you know we're going to cancel cancel all memberships uh with their, we have no members here anymore we, we now want to make and have disciples so that was a transitional time you know for the church and and for the ministry and so i was really excited about that all right and you definitely um brought up some very interesting parts about um, being with people as far as being in their greatest moments of joy and greatest moments of sadness. And I know um, within the community that you pastor now, there has been a lot of moments of sadness or a really heavy moment of sadness that has gained national attention, um, which is the um, killing of Dante Wright. Um, If you could just give our viewers and our listeners an idea of, you know, what is, what does it feel like in Brooklyn center right now? What is the overall setting? How are people feeling? How are people reacting to um, what has happened in that city? Amen. Um, yeah. Dante uh, Wright was killed um, maybe a mile from where our church is. Wow. If you know where the Faget's church is, he's right between the two of us. Oh, wow. And it's over there. About a mile from the church here, yeah, right in the middle of our, our, our ministries is where he lost his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, uh, and, and, and the officer, you, you know, who, who killed him, uh, I did have a, not a, a close, but relationship with her because I served 10 years as a chaplain for the Brooklyn Center Police Department. Wow. And so, um, and so uh, we didn't have, we didn't have any close encounters, but also had a niece who served on at that same time on the department as well uh, for Brooklyn Center. Uh, she has since gone into ministry uh, and and no longer involved in the police department. Um, uh, but I, I had uh, so the police chief, of course, I uh, was well acquainted with him, uh, both the current one as well as the one who was there uh, before him. Uh, but when uh, when that happened, of course, for it, it couldn't have happened at a of course at a worse time, because we were going through the the, the trial of George Floyd, uh, and we really didn't need anything to kind of add on to that tension. Um, the, the way, of course, you know Minneapolis and and some of the suburbs, you know, li- literally burned, you know, yeah. the night that George Floyd was killed, and then it's been a year of um, trying to recuperate you know, from that, and then now having his trial begin and kind of feel like there's some closure, some closure coming, and all of a sudden everything is turned upside down again uh, with the killing of, of Dante Wright. You know, it, it, it was a hard one, it's a challenging one, um, it, you know, because of the, the blessing, of course, again, the, the, with George Floyd, as well as with Dante Wright, is the blessing was there was video evidence, uh, clearly, um, Without the video evidence, um, I, I don't see, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin, the, the, the officer that killed George Floyd, I don't see him getting convicted uh, at all without the video evidence. Uh, it was hard enough with the evidence. 
And then uh, the video, of course, with Dante Wright being killed, I think was a, a, a huge um, blessing uh, to see exactly what happened. Uh, because we cannot, you know, that there, there was a time when, uh, well, actually, we never could take the police at their word. Yeah. Uh, but others in society thought that they could. But now we can see from all the video evidence that they, they really could not uh, take the police at their word. Uh, when, when things go wrong, they, they, they indeed do cover it up. So the video evidence was very, I think, uh, crucial to uh, Brooklyn Center and, and uh, what happened here. Uh, you know, that, that first night, uh, that there was a lot of violence, uh, uh, some, some looting, you know, uh, destruction of property, uh, destruction at the police station. Um, and, uh, and so that was huge at first night. About 1,200 people, I think they say, kind of came out in, in, in protest. Uh, we were also out, I think I went on that Tuesday, to kind of join the protesting. And then um, I was kind of seeking the Lord as well as to, you know, what else can we do? And so uh, I, I felt the unction and when we called a prayer of the pastors here in Brooklyn Center. And we met on uh, that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at noon in prayer uh, with the pastors from Brooklyn Center and, of course, anyone from our congregation as well as uh, surrounding pastors. Um, we met at noon to pray. Uh, on both, again, on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And so that was uh, a, a cry for healing and for, because there was so much anger, so much hurt, uh, so much violence in the atmosphere, I thought it was crucial to also just release the love of God and, and the power of God and the hope of prayer. That's also released that, that in the atmosphere. And praise God, actually, things did indeed uh, begin to calm down after that time. And so I think that that, uh, that Sunday night and Monday um, and even Tuesday were really, really, uh, really violent times with clashes with the police. And, uh, you know, they're trying, they're having curfews that are in place. They're trying to uh, enforce those curfews. It's a lot of violence and clashing. But but again, uh, the, the things kind of calmed down uh, as, the, as the week went forward. And we certainly want to attribute at least some of that to prayer. Amen. And the okay. peace of God also being released in the atmosphere. Uh, but yes, there's a lot of resentment, a lot of hurt. I am I am one who does not believe that, you know, it was a purposeful killing, but yet still it was uh, um, a negligent homicide. Right. Uh, when you grab the wrong tool for the wrong job, that's negligence uh, in any field. And so it was a negligent homicide, and and, and it has to be dealt with uh, in those terms. And so I, it, is, it is right. Uh, it was good that they released the video evidence right away. Um, and it was uh, good to be able to see that. Uh, it was good that the officer, uh, she actually resigned, but she would have been fired. Uh, and then also the police chief resigned with her. And uh, not so, not don't really know what that's all about. Uh, you know why he, uh, although he did make some some foolish statements, I guess. Yeah. First press release or the first press conference after that, uh, as far as you know, it was an accident, as opposed to really calling it a a, a negligence. And 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 I think that's people came back at him on that, and I think he just kind of saw the water was getting hot, and chose to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, as well yeah you definitely um 
you kind of covered my next question as far as talking about um, what the churches in the community were um, were doing as far as the overall impact of how you were how you were responding to the violence, the anger, and the things that were going on. Um, recently, in our episodes, we have been talking about um, the role that the church should play as far as what we see in this somewhat new age civil rights movement. Um, I made the comment that, you know, really since the death of Dr. King, we have not seen a civil rights movement for African Americans that has been spearheaded and led by the church. You may have some people that come and stand in proxy with the family. You may have some um, individual ministers like Reverend Al Sharpton or Reverend Jesse Jackson. They may come out and speak against the violence. But um, really, since you know, the individuals of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and things of that nature, have we really not been able to see um, these spearheadings that were done by the Christian community? So really, it's kind of put the church into a interesting position as far as how do we respond to these things that happen in our community? How do we respond to these injustices that may indirect that may somewhat indirectly or really directly affect our members and the people that consistently go to our church so the next question i really wanted to ask you is what is your position on this what do you think the church's role should be in this new age of civil rights and in this in this new fight towards right. civil injustice right i think as you're saying you know that there was a time when the church was the natural gathering place and everyone looked to the church you know, for those gatherings, they, they were that we, we we had the buildings that could hold the gatherings, and uh, and the people in the neighborhood were connected to the church, and so yes, it was indeed the natural gathering place, and and the churches uh, were being and the and the uh, the movements were being led by ministers, uh, you know, for the most part as well, and so again, that connection was natural with the church. Uh, I think since that time, yes, I think people have kind of grown. Uh, away from the church. Uh, it is not the natural uh, gathering place it once was. A lot of the leaders now are are, are in and in, into politics or, or um, you know community organizers, but not so much always connected to to the church. And so uh, it, it, it uh, and, then, and then people in general, uh, you know people are more spiritual, they say, more religious, more spiritual than ever before. but yet they don't always uh, uh, re, uh, act, uh, show that through church involvement and involvement in traditional, you know, church uh, ministries. Uh, but it's more uh, like everyone kind of doing their own thing in their own way. Um, and so the, the the church is not hasn't hasn't been as of late that natural uh, fit that it always had. And so at this time, then it's incumbent upon the church uh, to reach outside of its walls and to connect with community. Uh, when, when, uh, in, in ways that, that we can, um, and, and, uh, just kind of be, be available and get out there and be visible. And so, you know, when the, uh, protests are happening, you know, the church want to be out there with that as well. I think one thing that's happening here in Brooklyn Center also with the churches during this time with, with Dante Wright's slaying is that they become, uh, distribution centers, uh, to distribute food. Um, you know, uh, clothing, uh, really supporting those who are protesting, uh, distributing like protest kits um, to uh, allow people to uh, be there, even feeding them 
on site so they can kind of stay there and not having to leave. And so that that's happening here in Brooklyn Center uh, with many of the ministries and, and the churches as well. But I think overall, um, I think uh, we've, we've got to, to be where the people are and, and meet them where their need is. And, um, and there is a, even though people tend to shy away from the church, when these tragedies happen, they do still look to the church in a way yeah. um, to help them understand and to help them get through. And so I think it's, it's our responsibility to be available uh, and to be open to people where they are. And, uh, and when the need arises, step up to the plate and uh, offer the help that's needed, feeding them whatever it might be. Yes, definitely. Um, and it's interesting to hear how um, the churches in the community within Brooklyn Center are really willing to help those protesters. Um, that's something that I really didn't really hear as much of. It, like you said, it was more so hearing about the community leaders, but I really didn't hear about churches mm-hmm. that were really being proactive in that area. So that's really um, interesting to hear about. So um, the last question I have for you is um, just to be able to speak to the audience as far as there are many people who are in church, you know, grew up in church and things of that nature that are, you know, seeing these injustices that continually rise in our communities. And I mean, recently it just seems like it's, it's one thing after another. And sometimes right. I, was, um, I was even telling grandma when we were um, talking about it that sometimes you hear so many that sometimes you begin to confuse the details of one between the other and it's just a lot for us as African Americans to take in as far as um, the situations that's been going on so really from your perspective I want to ask what do you say to the Christian individual who is saying yes I know that it may not be the best way for me to go out and and to riot and to loot and to be in these part of in part of these uh, activities that go on but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm frustrated and I'm angry about all the things that are happening. What do you say to those people from, you know, being a pastor, being from their experiences, being a pastor, your experiences from counseling people who may be going through angry type of situations? Because I feel as though there are many Christians who feel as though, you know, I want to go out and go out and loot and go out and ride because of the things that I continually see in our community and the things that, the methods of peace or a, a quote unquote peace and of nonviolence have don't seem like they have been working. So what do you say to those people who are beginning to feel frustrated and who are a part of the Christian community and even those who aren't a part of the Christian community? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that uh, we've got to hold, we've got to hold to nonviolence, uh, even though you, you know people are feeling like it, it isn't working for me or you know that was back in the day but we need to do something different now but the different things that we want to do uh will, will cause us to be uh, like cast aside or not taken seriously because you know uh, the the uh, white community who is just going to look at us as a bunch of thugs and it ain't about justice it's just about they just want to riot and kill and steal anyway and so we don't want to fit into the mode, you know, that they want to paint for us. Uh, but in fact, um, we want justice. And y- you cannot cry for justice if you are murdering and, and, and destroying. Um, you can't get justice from that as well. 
So you, so you got to try to resist that temptation um, to rob and to uh, to uh, break in and steal. And and for the most part, it's it's in our own neighborhoods that that that's happening. And so, you know, we're we're not hurting the big corporations when we do that. We're not hurting really quote the white man when we do that. But these are the small uh, black business owners in our own neighborhood who are being looted and and, and robbed. Uh, you know, for the most part. And so we got to consider that that we're destroying you know people's livelihoods and people's lives um, who are just like us, and 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 you know the big corporations aren't being affected by it anyway um, by that. And so I think um, it is a challenge, um, but I think justice has to prevail, uh, and, and I think you have to keep. Um, pushing against that tendency to go outside of the law to get justice because uh, two wrongs, we say way back in the day, don't, don't make, make it right. right. Yes, and it's that tendency uh, to add wrong to wrong. Uh, the word says to, to overcome evil with good. And so someone has to decide that I'm going to be good and do the right things. And so it doesn't mean we can't protest, it doesn't mean we can't challenge people, but we don't have to uh, commit violence Yes, most definitely. And um, I even said when it comes to, um, in our last episode, as far as what role the church should have, as far as um, how we look at social injustice, is the fact that I believe that the church has to be peaceful, but the church should not be passive. I think that at at the end of the day, the church has a obligation and a moral to, um, like the Bible says, follow peace with all men. And you really cannot do that if we are encouraging individuals to go and to destroy the things that are in our own communities. Um, and, but I do not believe that the church should take a passive stance as far as how we right. look at those things. Um, I did even talk about how way back um, in the beginning of the 90s, how um, when you had individuals like the late Reverend Frederick Casey Price, who was coming out and speaking against race relations. Um, and as far as how the evangelical church responded to that and sort of took the notion that things of that nature should be put on the back burner. And as far as we should be able to just say we're all one body and we're all in one accord. And I even said in our first episode that there are certain that you really can't take that stance per se, because even if you do have a multicultural church or organization, there are issues in certain communities of different races that affect the members that go to your church. And it is very, I feel as though it is irresponsible for you to not address those issues. So I believe that um, what you're doing in Brooklyn Center is definitely an excellent work to be able to speak to the issues that people are going through, to let them know that um, they are not alone in how they feel, um, but also to be able to offer a sense of calm and yet offer a sense of support. Uh, I believe that's something that in some instances the church has not fully grasped yet because I believe there are some and I noticed this in the I talked about this again in the last episode that there were some pastors when it came to the looting and rioting that I believe they could have addressed that in a much softer way as far as not specifically calling those people um, by derogatory names who were participating in those incidents but you know feeling empathetic for why they are doing these things and also offering support 
and calm and a safe space for those individuals to come and give them a safe environment for them to be able to express their feelings and to be able to um, admit those feelings in a very um, calm way rather than um, what they were doing beforehand. All right. So, right. I, I think, oh, I think well, let me just add this piece as well. Um, I think a lot of that comes out of, again, a, a feeling of hopelessness. Yeah. And so, you know, with this uh, conviction now of Derek Chauvin uh, in the George Floyd case and with him being convicted, uh, people can see now that it can happen. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that really made that happen was that the blue wall that, that would protect officers at any cost uh, all of a sudden now spoke against him. Mm -hmm. uh, it was so unjust. And again, the video, uh, of course, is, is what enabled them to do that as well. Yeah. But it was so unjust that the, that the police chief here in, in, in Minneapolis spoke against him and other officers and, and those who trained him spoke against him. And so we, we can see now the, the beginning of a rip in that blue wall or that blue curtain they've always hid behind. And so I think the more we open that up and the more we tell people what, what really happened instead of just giving us the, uh, the uh, narrative that you want us to believe, uh, you know, that isn't true. Uh, and so along with, with, with that tearing down of that blue wall and along with the video evidence that makes it more, uh, that shows us exactly what did happen so that they cannot you know, lie about it. And then the willingness for them to expose the, you know, one another is very important. Uh, I did a little write-up. I would I called it, you know, uh, where are the 99? Um, I kind of started from the scripture, you know, when Jesus healed the 10 lepers and um, only one of them came back to thank him, you know, and Christ said, where are the nine? So they expected, you know, everyone, uh, each of them to come back in uh, appreciation. And so when, when, when we hear all the time, you know, that 99% that of, of cops are good officers. And so, and so I'm saying, well, then where are the 99? Yeah. Uh, if, if, if indeed 99% of them are good officers, uh, how come that 99 can't push that 1% of the bad ones out? Why can't you expel them and, and push them out and get them and, and, and keep them from beating on us and, and murdering us? You know, you are the ones who can deal with them because you know who they are mm -hmm. and you can deal with them. So letting them, so letting them uh, uh, loose on us. And so the challenge is, you know, you, you, the, the 99 the percent who say you are good, you can't claim goodness if you see evil and go along with it or stay silent in the face of evil. So if you want to be called good, then expose the one uh, and, and, and thereby give us the, the, the justice and the peace uh, that we need. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Most definitely. I, I totally agree with that wholeheartedly that um, as far as the sense of hopelessness, as far as the sense of accountability that needs to take place on all aspects of law enforcement. And I hope that's something that we'll be able to see after we um, after the dust has settled with this case. I really um, like we had mentioned earlier how one thing has just happened after another, how there's um, the young lady, Micaiah Bryant, who had got murdered. Uh, literally right when the verdict came in for Derek Schiller mm -hmm. and how it's just happening back to back. So hopefully um, what we see with George Floyd and um, what we hope to see with Dante will be the same thing that we hope to see with Dante Wright and other individuals who have video and who don't have video The as far mm -hmm. as there being a 
across the board um, system of accountability that our law enforcement Amen. officers are being held to. Amen. And and the lack of video, you know, to, to make those things uh, come true or, or to, to be exposed is going to take the other officers to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, if, if, if they tell the truth, uh, we don't need video. Um, and, and so that's going to make a difference. So again, um, if we need officers, we're going to be honest and tell the truth. And if your companion or your partner went overboard, tell it. You know, if they messed up, tell it. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, all right, Pastor, I want to thank you so much for um, hanging out here with us at the Amen Corner Podcast, giving us insight as far as um, what has been going on in Brooklyn Center. Um, please know that um, I know I speak for myself and I speak for Josh when I say this, um, as well as many of our viewing audience. But we are still praying for uh, you all in Brooklyn Center, um, especially the pastors, individuals of faith, community leaders, um, that God will give you the strength to be able to um, continue this fight. Because even though um, we have reached a resolution, per se, as far as the, um, the George Floyd case, there are still um, there's still the Dante Wright case that is coming up off on, on the heels of that, and we don't know really how that's going to turn out when we get to trial as far as that case goes. So I'm um, just praying that you all will continue to... Um, have strength to be able to stand and, and, and be there for your communities. And we definitely um, thank you for your time. We thank you um, for giving us insight on what's been happening. And um, thank you for being a guest on the Amen Corner podcast. Amen. Well, well, thank you for having me, you know, as a guest. And really appreciate you and, uh, and respect you as a young man of faith. Amen. And so we thank God to see, of course, your growth. Uh, into the young man who you are even now and so we appreciate that and I think next steps for us here and I'll, I'll close with this uh, next steps for us here in Brooklyn Center um, as you know Dante's right funeral was held today and so there's a little bit of tension yet in the air uh, with that happening but then we're looking at you know praying about maybe some kind of a partnership between the church and those businesses uh, that did or, or you know destroyed uh, so that we can kind of support one another, that the community can support those businesses and, uh, and, and, and just be there as a church family, you know, uh, patronize them, uh, be there um, just to hang around their stores and, and see how they're doing and are they okay. So again, just to kind of make the, the businesses feel welcome again uh, here in Brooklyn Center. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, once again, thank you for joining us and thank you for participating in this and we wish you nothing but the best in these next few days and months. Amen. Thank you for thank you for your prayers. God bless. All right. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. I only serve one God.